Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by the Machiavellian, megalithic, and melancholy Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? Uh, I think megalithic is is on on the uh, is, is the right call this week, because I'm feeling a little slow after a long but wonderful weekend at uh, NukeCon in, in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, towards the end of our announcement section, right? Sounds good. All right, cool. Well, uh, you might be a little megalithically slow today, but I will uh, I will move on with announcements and give you a second maybe to catch your breath, but maybe not, because uh, in the new issue of Dragon Plus, issue 22, you are one of the people who writes on that, the Best of the DMs Guild. There's a lot of other stuff in it, but we'll, let's talk about Best of the DMs Guild real quick. What did, you, what did you write about this month? Yeah, every month I try to interview someone, uh, someone who has work up on the DMs Guild, And this month, all of Dragon Plus was focusing on Dungeon of the Mad Mage, kind of a preview for that. So I interviewed Dan Dillon, who was one of the contributors to Dungeon of the Mad Mage, talked about his work for that and other work he's put up on the DMs Guild. And then I reviewed work either about Undermountain or from contributors to that book. So other articles in dragon plus this month include a preview looks at dungeon of the mad mage as well as the guild master's guide to ravnica uh, there's an article about using magic cards as D items they looked at the new version of betrayal at the house on the hill the legacy edition um, also another board game they looked at was axis and allies and zombies that sounds cool because I'm I actually like Axis and Allies. Like it's a it's one of those people consider I don't know traditional or classic board games. It borders the line to me between board game and hobby game, right? Because it's such a huge game. Have you yeah. ever played Axis and Allies? I played it a lot growing up, but I haven't played it in probably thirty years. I mean, it's a ton of fun. Yeah. I, I lo- it was one of the first games that I ever played that had a ton of plastic in it, right? Because yep. there's all the little different minis that are miniature tanks and things like that. I don't know if your version had that. The version I played had that. Oh, yeah. We uh, we had graduated from Risk. Risk became a little bit too boring after a while. I hate that game. Yep. R- and, Risk is one of my least favorite board games ever. Yeah, well, for, for good reason. But then we graduated on to Axis and Allies, which was a little more involved, you know, a little more thinking uh, involved. So, yeah. Also asymmetrical. Yes, indeed. You could um, team up with other people. Yeah. Well, not only that, but depending on what country you started as, you had different and different resources and positioning, and it was a very much an asymmetrical board game. It was the first one that I ever played that was asymmetrical. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that in, in my own estimation. That's probably the first one for me as well. I wonder what the zombies part adds to it. I didn't get the chance to read this. So yeah, I, I, I don't... I've heard a little bit about the game. I don't know how the zombies come into it, but I imagine it's going to be pretty fun. If you add zombies to anything, I think it becomes fun. Yeah, I just I'm very curious uh, how that affects the economy of the game because there's like an economic system that goes with that game with like right. having territory and whatnot and providing your resources to buy and fund your war engine. Mm-hmm. So, um, l- l- sorry, sorry about that aside. I no. just got a little nostalgia there, I suppose. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, there was an article on learning with D and D about teaching students with learning disabilities using D and D as a tool, and then there were a, 
a ton of articles on the art of D&D streaming uh, shows as well as costuming D&D. So if you're into those, you know, more visual art areas of, of the game, uh, there are lots of articles in there for you as well. You know, I know what Dragon and Dungeon used to be back in the day. Mm-hmm. And Dragon Plus is a very different take mm-hmm. on on the digital magazine thing. Like, it seems like it's gone the way of um, a celebration of whatever is really cool going on with D&D and magic, right? Especially D&D and, and stuff related to D&D and, and WotC properties. Yep. They also have some some more crunchy bits in there uh, under the Unearthed Arcana. The only reason they didn't mention it is because it's also put out the unearthed arcana is also put out on the wizard's website so this month it was talking about the dragon marks so Mm. we we had already discussed the dragon marks so i didn't want to you know get bring our listeners something that we've already talked about but all of that stuff goes into into dragon plus and there are links back to articles on the the um the wizard's website as well as new content that that's put in so yeah I would really like to hear people's opinions on what they think of Dragon Plus now that it's 22 issues deep. I mean, mm-hmm. I like where it's at. I know it's not what it used to be, what people think of as Dragon, but I don't. that doesn't matter as much to me. I, I kind of like how they are highlighting all these different pieces and, and areas of uh, of their company and their games and things like that. It's kind of like a nice little mm-hmm. little inside look at what's going on there. Yeah, it definitely brings more of the hobby aspect as opposed to just rules, mechanics, and so on. Uh, and and that's okay. You know, yeah, you, I, it, I it can have all those things, and you don't have to read every article. But there is a growing fandom out there that needs to be supported. So I'm glad that they're able to do that. All right. Next thing, uh, Wolfgang Bauer and uh, Megan Maracal. Maracal, yep. Uh, on the newest Dragon Talk, the Creature Codex. So I didn't see this. Uh, did you watch it? I did. Uh, it, I think it was recorded three or four weeks ago but it just went up as the latest dragon plus or i'm sorry the latest dragon talk where uh, shelly and greg shelly mazanoble and greg tito interview wolfgang bauer and megan markle about the new creature codex book that was a kickstarter but it is now available for people to buy anywhere uh, on the rpg drive through rpg website or on the cobalt press website or even in game stores they distributed it to those locations so you can buy it there. And it was an interesting talk because I worked on some of the monsters in the book, so it was cool to hear um, Megan and Wolfgang talk about the process, you know, from planning the Kickstarter and, and how they were going to get backer input into the book to the editing of the book to how the monsters were designed. And so it was just a, it was a really neat, um, interview if you're interested in a how a book gets made b how D and D design gets turned into a book um, how playtesting is done they talked a lot about the playtesting because if you have almost 400 monsters it's probably good to playtest those monsters probably you know, so that was that was an interesting uh, discussion so if you want to watch that it's on the wizards website it's also on twitch uh, tv slash D and D. And then if you want the book, you can just go to the Cobalt Press website. And in their store, they have the Creature Codex for 5th edition D&D. Yeah, we'll um, have a link to that in our show notes. So if you want to go check that out via our show notes, you can do that too. And my contributor copy came in the mail just the other day. So it's a very pretty book as well. 
It's huge, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's it's. They said it was just shy of four hundred monsters, but a lot of the monsters, or some of the monsters, have a two-page spread rather than one. So you know, if you just want to have a big book of monsters to drop on your players that they've never heard of before, I would strongly suggest that there are some really fun monsters in there. I mean, I don't recommend that you physically actually drop it on your players. Like, you might hurt them. I well, don't if condone if, that, if they deserve it, then I, you know, definitely drop it right directly on them. Sean, the the views of Sean Merwin, the map is Merwin, and his violence at the, at the game table are not reflective of the views of misdirected Mark. That's, That's true. I have, I have to keep in mind that all players aren't like my players, so. That's true. We don't have to worry about most of the time people yeah. saying an adventure by Sean Merwin and putting something terrible at the front of that. This is true. This is true. Yeah. And speaking but... of an adventure by Sean Merwin, um, <laughs> if you do like the Creature Codex, there's also Creature Codex Layers, which uses some of the monsters to create some short adventures that you can use for your home campaigns. And Sean is so good at that, too. So I try. I, uh, he wrote nine of them, in fact, and they're all in this book. Yeah, it's, it is true. It is It is a, a book that is out there for you to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. Let's move on to the next thing, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I guess G-plus is going to die in a fire. Yeah, I've heard it's it's on life support now, and the prognosis is not good. They're only giving it a few months to live. Yeah, 10 months to be exact. August 2019 is when uh, G-plus goes away. So I guess the big question is, how are we going to handle that with uh, Mr. Ectomark Productions? Well, uh, we're talking about it. We're having many discussions about it. We are going to take our time, do some research, and figure out what our community needs and what would be best for everybody. Mm-hmm. So you know, in the meantime, you can still continue to use G+, to talk with us on either the Misdirected Mark uh, group community or on the Down With D&D Advantage to Insight community. Um, so we're not going to close it. It's not going to go away. It will go away when it is absolutely shut down by Google. Um, but like Chris said, in the meantime, we're, we're looking for the best way to communicate with all our listeners. And yeah. People have even been talking about message boards, but we've we've already thrown out a bunch of stuff. And um, I can tell you one thing, everyone out there, it looks like, uh, if you're not aware, Misdirected Mark is sort of part of a triumvirate of organizations, the Gnome Stew blog and Encoded Designs. We call ourselves GEM for those three things, Gnome Stew, Encoded Designs, and Misdirected Mark. Uh, one of our initiatives going forward will probably combine all three of those things together mm-hmm. so if you're uh it'll it'll be much more of a community aspect for for the organization known as gem yep all right um the mad wizard menagerie patreon it's like at 150 dollars already yeah we, we're at least more than halfway to our first goal of getting up to two monsters per month instead of one the first monster will be out at the end of the month it is being worked on our layout writing and so on i mean the writing is done the art's pretty much done too like we're almost done with it i mean we're just making virtual tabletop tokens at this point and such yep so for for people that don't know how this patreon works is at the end of each month we will put out this the the content um and leading up to it we will you know talk about it we will have uh meetings with our patreon backers who who want to you know discuss monster design and so on and then at the end of the month it'll come out and then next month starts and we'll do it all over again and hopefully very soon we will be able to do two monsters per month because that'll be great and if we can really get up there and get to that third goal of putting out layers as well that would be really awesome 
Yeah, and there are some goals in there that put out more stat blocks with the monsters and things like that, too. Mm-hmm. And we might shift some of that around to move it up earlier because it's, we need Sean to realize it's not all that much work for the two of us to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of work, but it's work we like to do, so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's manageable, right? That's right. that's the idea. Yep. And we'd like to give you folks more stuff. Yes. Giving people stuff is, is lots of fun. Especially and to when like, hear about the Mad Wizard Menagerie. You want you want to keep listening to us here, and then you want to follow the Mad Wizard on Twitter at Menagerie Wizard. Mm-hmm. You want to tease people about what the monster is for next month. Uh, the monster for next month is a monster that the Mad Wizard encountered on a world that's mostly water. In fact, it's like ninety percent water, right? Right. And so he was interested in in this. Most of the worlds he visits are mostly land with with some water. So he just wanted to see what what would happen if he gave the water-dwelling creatures a little bit of a boost to see how the shift of, you know how the power would shift uh, on that world and it shifted pretty dramatically to the point where he had to go in and then save the land-dwelling people uh from the ravaging monsters that came out of the water so that is where this new monster that mad wizard statted up came from and it also includes one of the spells that he gave the water-dwelling creatures that help them start to threaten the uh, the land-dwelling creatures. And that will all be out when the monster is released. Mm-hmm. We might talk a little bit about more about it next uh, next episode, too. I think talking about what the Mad Wizards have been up to is always a good idea. Yeah. yeah. And he on Twitter, every other day or so, he talks a little bit about a world he's been to and some of the creatures that he's seen there. They mm-hmm. that which may or may not be upcoming monsters for the Patreon. All right, let's uh move on now to um NukeCon. You were there, right? I was. I I got there on Friday. I left early Monday morning, and in between I ran some games, some play tests, and spoke about adventure design on a panel. And just had a, really had an overall good time and ate a lot of steak. Um, they are very proud of their steak in Omaha. And I have to say that their steak is very good. Um, the $7 steak that I got for one afternoon um, was probably better than most steak that I get you know, anywhere else. Dang, so, 7 bucks. Yeah, it was a Sunday special that this one restaurant runs. They're usually like a, a gyro, a hero place. But on Sundays, they do a, a steak special. And for seven bucks, you get steak, a salad, and uh, like a rice potato dish with it. And the steak was really, really good. And if I if they were trying to get me to eat steak Friday night, Saturday or Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, and Sunday evening, but I Sunday evening I tapped out and said, I think probably steak for three meals in a row might put me over the edge. So, <laughs> uh, but one of the things I was able to do was to talk briefly with Dave Rosser, who was the D&D and the Adventurers League coordinator of NukeCon. He runs or coordinates all of the D&D and the Adventurers League play at all of the stores in Omaha and the surrounding areas. And he had some thoughts on you know, where D&D is as a, as a game and as a hobby at this point in its uh, lifespan about the Adventurers League, about the changes that came at the beginning of Season 8, um, and other aspects of gaming, like uh, running a convention, running AL at a convention, or uh, running and DMing uh, 
D&D in public. So I interviewed him. It's about a 10-minute interview, and I thought it'd be good to run it now. Yep, we're going to do that. So we will catch you on the flip side, and now I will be talking with Dave Rosser. Hey, everybody. This is Sean Merwin from Down With D&D, and I am here at NukeCon in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, I've been invited as a special guest, and I'm having a great time so far. As I'm looking out across the room, I am seeing a lot of tables being played, many games, but particularly right now we are seeing the Red War Epic being played by at least 10 tables. And I'm here with Dave Rosser, a native of Omaha, who helps run D&D and Adventures League in the area. You want to say hi, Dave? Hey, how's it going, folks? It's good. We're doing great here. Um, could you tell me a little bit about what you've seen in the area in Omaha with D&D within the last few years? Last few years, D&D has uh, exploded, really. It's um, an influx of people that are old to D&D, uh, have been flooding back into the hobby, and really a lot of new young folks are picking up the hobby like never before. Uh, my kids were... For instance, my kids were always kind of interested in D&D, but lately when they voice that interest in public venues or forums, they get flooded with people that want to play, right? Um, for instance, my, my youngest son in high school put together a D&D group, and that first day they sat 40 people and probably turned away as many. Wow, so almost 80 people showed up yep. on the spur of the moment. A little and, high school in Omaha. And uh, one of your other children started a game club in college, is that right? Yeah, uh, he, he actually joined a science fiction club, but then started do, running D&D events there. And um, now not only is he super busy in college and work, that's got him pretty busy too. <laughs> yeah. D &D, so. I bet. Well, it sounds like your kids have uh, are a chip off the old block, as it were, yeah, I think so. since you do some uh, coordinating yourself in the area. Yeah, I've... Um, I've been coordinating AL for NewCon probably six, seven years now. I've been coming to NewCon since I was a little kid, so right. going on probably 30 years maybe. Yeah. Uh, maybe not quite that long. I'm not sure, actually. It's, uh, uh, it's, a, it's, it's, our, it's one of our big local conventions, especially for AL. Recently, in the last few years, it's really exploded. Yeah. Um, I think just uh, four years ago, I had six tables, and every year it seems to grow more and more. Yeah. Um, our local community um, now is at the point where we have six game stores that run events, D&D mm -hmm. uh, AL, and other D&D events. And they're getting to the point where they, they, they have to do things on multiple nights because they just don't have room to house everybody else to play on a given night. Wow, that's great. I've seen the same thing happen in Buffalo yeah. um, where during the fourth edition days, during encounters and stuff, yeah. I couldn't find a, a store to run anything. Oh, 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 wow. And now there's eight, nine, ten stores all yeah. running stuff constantly yeah. and new yeah. stores popping up all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty uh, amazing. So what's your experience with uh, organized play? How, how long have you been doing organized play for D&D? &D? Uh, I started doing organized play uh, as a DM at the very tail end of, uh, at least in my adult days, at the very tail end of Greyhawk. Okay. The Living Greyhawk campaign. Yep. Uh, me and my middle kid, my, my middle son, we showed up at a game store to play, and they needed a DM. And they handed me a mod, and they said, you're running. <laughs> so, um, and apparently I was pretty good at it, because they called me and said, are you coming back? <laughs> um, and ever since then, I've, I, I dabbled in it. Um, fourth edition, I did encounters. Um, but fifth edition, we did the play test. 
and our tables just kept growing and I kept recruiting more DMs out of my table and other people's tables and it just kept growing and growing and 5th edition was a, was a big bang. Mm -hmm. um, and then something happened a couple years after that, maybe a year, maybe not quite a year after that, and I think it was the online stream. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it would happen that uh, every time we'd meet, there'd be a whole new table of people would show up. Wow. Right? And so I'd have to scramble for a new DM, <laughs> set a new table. Right. And it's uh, it's a great time to be a D&D &D fan. It, it sure is. It definitely is true. So, Dave, as a convention coordinator, um, what advice do you have for other coordinators or what advice do you have for people that want to get into DMing at conventions? Uh, one of the things I've discovered in the last couple of years is that the big conventions, Gen Con, Winter Fantasy, uh, Game Hole Con, um, um, uh, Gary Con, they're desperate for DMs. Not desperate, but very hungry for, for, for DMs. And if you can commit to running a certain number of hours, 14 for a ticket, usually 30 for a room share, you can go to these conventions for relatively inexpensively. Okay? They'll, they'll give you a place to stay. They'll give you. They'll give you. They'll reimburse you for your ticket. Uh, and it's great experience to see the big cons how they muster tables, how they run events, and see other DMs run tables at, at, at other cons. Been an eye opener for me, uh, and very enjoyable too. Yeah, it's for me as well. When I started going to conventions, I would have had only DM for home games, so I would sit down at tables and start seeing how other DMs ran things, or even more importantly, sat down as a DM and see how other players oh, yeah. do things. Because there's a wide array of skill sets, of talents, of of wants, of desires. <laughs> so it's it's just it's a great experience to become a better yeah. DM, a better player, you know, a better creator yeah, for yeah. D&D to, to be able to do those things. Yeah. So so we're now getting into the eighth season of Adventures League. Wow. And there have man. been some changes with, with this season. Yeah. Um, they're, they're a little controversial in some areas. Yeah, yeah. So what are you seeing here in terms of your DMs, your player base, about the new season? Are they down with the changes? Are they rolling with I, it? I think... I think most people are rolling with it. Um, there has been some controversy in the local area as well. Uh, I think as most people start uh, using it, they get more comfortable with it. And in many ways, I, people are starting to see the advantage. Unfortunately, I think the, the advantages to the new way of doing things really kind of need people to experience it. You need to play at a table under these new rules. And it, and it, gives DMs more of a freedom that AL kind of never really had before, and mm -hmm. I really enjoy that. I think that's really powerful. At the same time, it's a little bit intimidating for new DMs because it's, it's it, uh, I, it, it, it seems like there's not a lot of support there, right, in the structure. Right. Uh, but if you get a little bit of experience under under your belt, mm -hmm. and you see how it, how things kind of work out at the table, you realize this is liberating. Right, and I, I think players learning this new system will also help because before they've gotten into a rut where where the adventures were all different, but they all had a similar structure. Yes, and so yes. we've kind of trained the players, especially if they've come in with Adventures League, right. to expect certain things and and. Sometimes they limit themselves with what they want to right, do. Right. So if we can teach them to step off the rails, yeah. and that will help the DMs then 
go with the flow in terms of what the table and the players yeah, at the table exactly, want. Exactly. So I, I think it's going to be a learning experience for everyone. Yeah. And if it takes off, it will do very well. Yeah, it's just so a matter too. of will we be able to get, get there past yeah, that point. Yeah. But it will be interesting to see because you're running several of the uh, new season eight yeah. adventure oh, yeah. series, right? We're running uh, uh, eight, eight, four through eight, six, I believe. Okay, cool. Yeah. And uh, we also have some CCC adventures here yeah. strictly for NukeCon, correct? Did you talk about those? Yeah. Uh, our, uh, our CCC author, uh, Marcelo de Velasquez, uh, wrote a couple of CCC adventures for this year. Um, they're very, very thematic. They're very, there's lots of RP, but there's also very intense nail-biting combat. Uh, I can't say enough about Marcelo. Um, the, the, the neat things that he's put in these adventures um, really kind of uh, uh, spark my imagination and make me hungry to want to run, a want, run them, you know. Yeah. Um, and he's also kind of embraced the flexibility of what happens at the table. There's lots of stuff in there to, to kind of change it up if you need to or run it the way you want. And I like that a lot. Yeah, I think they were written under the old, old they way. Were. They but were. I've talked to him uh, this weekend, and he has talked about just within his adventure, embracing that yeah. flexibility. So that'll be great. Uh, do you happen to know the name of those adventures, or at least the, the yeah. title? Yeah, uh, the, they're, they're uh, CCC Nuke 0101 okay. and CCC Nuke 0102. Okay. Uh, the first one is... Um, uh, wow, I, I always go by the numbers. That's probably yeah, that, well, as long as you know the numbers, we uh, can uh, have people, so they should be up pretty soon after the convention. Yeah. The, the plan is to get them up uh, right after the weekend. Okay. Um, that fo the following Monday or the following Sunday if we can. Great. So they will be up on the uh, Adventures, uh, the uh, DMs Guild, yeah. probably by the time everyone is hearing this. I certainly hope so. That's what we're trying, yep. So uh, go look for those. Uh, CCC Nuke 0101 is The Blighted Sun, and CCC Nuke 0102 is Hide and Seek. All right. So there you have it. Um, well, I want to personally thank you for inviting me here because oh, I'm halfway done, and I've had a great time so far. Oh, I've run uh, some fun tables. Looking forward tonight to do uh, a talk about adventure writing. Right. So, uh, so that's great. And I know Claire was here last year, Claire Hoffman, and she yeah. said she had a wonderful time oh, as well. Wonderful. Uh, the Midwest hospitality is uh, off the charts. Good. So, good. so I really appreciate that. Uh, anything else you want to say to our listeners before you go? Uh, I think we're we're a growing community. Um, we have a burgeoning underground D and D society uh, community here, and we're starting to kind of come together and form a group and and just enjoy the hobby together as a community and yep. I think it's wonderful. And there is a great community here. I've seen it throughout my stay. Um, so if you're in the area, whether it's uh, you know in, in Omaha or in the surrounding area, look out for other conventions in this area as well that run Adventures League and other D&D events. Yep. We have a Facebook group called Omaha Nebraska D&D. If you're interested in local D&D, whether it's stores or at people's homes or at, at conventions, um, uh, people are always putting up if they have extra seats or they're looking for players or DMs. So. Cool. And you can follow Dave on Twitter at D-A-R-J-R. Uh, he's, he's been in the community forever. Uh, I knew him before I knew him as one of the kindest, gentlest, most supportive voices uh, on EN World. And I finally made the connection that that was him. So it's been great to know him over the years and then know him more in person this weekend. So uh, thanks for having me, and I will talk to everyone out there on the airwaves later. Sean, that was a really wonderful conversation. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it was a little noisy, but you know, when you're at a convention, these things are these things are going on. It proves that we, I was actually there. There were people playing the <laughs> epic of, of all things as uh, as I was interviewing Dave. So it was a good time. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move on to our main topic for t- today and for the foreseeable future. We're going to be talking about Dragon Heist. Uh, we'll, we'll go through it like we've gone through other books in the past. I, I really want to go through this one too. It's really fascinating to me. In fact, um. Uh, if you want, why don't, we just, why don't we just get right into it? So, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, it's a Dungeons & Dragons adventure. It's designed for characters going for, uh, starting at first level, and they'll be fifth by the end of it. It's a city-based adventure. Uh, if you want your characters to be higher after that, like go, go through more character progression, the Dungeon of the Mad Mage is the, is the logical follow-up to this book, and it'll be out in November. It's not November yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see this poster map. Have you seen the poster map? I have seen the poster map. I, I don't want to tear it out of the book yet. Um, but I, as much as I could open it, I opened it and then I looked at it also on, uh, D and D beyond and I couldn't obviously on D and D beyond, it's not a large blown up map like you get out of the book, but from what I could see, it looks excellent. It looks like one of the better, uh, water deep maps that they've had. And they've had many water deep maps over the years through the second, third, fourth edition. Um, and the cool thing is on one side you have water deep as the players are going to see it so you can put it out. And then on the flip side, it has all of the encounter areas that you're going to use during the adventure. So as the DM, you can just flip the map over or flip the uh, map over, look at it, figure out where this next encounter takes place and then flip it back. So your players can, uh, can see it. I want to find it. I want to go look at this map now. I don't know where it is. I'm, I didn't know it popped up. I really need to make D and D beyond like a daily thing that I go to and read. Because it seems like that is the place to go now for for D and D stuff. Well, on D and D Beyond, it's it's if you actually purchase it, you can see the, the map. Ew. Okay, I thought maybe somebody just posted it to so that nope. is like a thing that people could it, see. Not that I'm aware of. It, oh. it may be out there somewhere, but not that I'm aware of. Okay, no problem. That's fine. Uh, well, let's move into this uh, this book. So uh, we're going to talk about the introduction today. It's a, it's got all the good stuff that gives you the overview of what's going on. I figured that would be a good place to start. You agree, Sean? Mm-hmm. Sounds good. All right, story overview. I really liked the introduction. Uh, it's solid work. It's it's very good. Um, you want to you want to expand on that a little bit, Sean? Yeah, I I like how their adventure design and layout process has evolved over the products, you know, since the first one was released for 5th edition. Um, As we were saying before we started recording, it's almost like they've been listening to us. I know that they haven't, like, been changing their design based on you and I talking about their products, Chris, Mm -hmm. but it seems to be changing in a way that is pleasing to us and seems to fix problems that we've seen as some of these products have come out. So in this case, in the story overview... Um, They don't dive in too deeply right away. They give just enough information in this sort of elevator pitch so that DMs know what they're getting into. And players can read what the story is kind of about without spoiling too much. So, you know, as a DM, there, there are many types and many levels of experience with DMs. Some DMs could read the elevator pitch and almost create their own adventure. Whereas some DMs can then... Um, just use that background information and then move on to maybe an adventure summary where it expands a bit more 
And then some DMs right there could stop and say, okay, I could probably do this from here, whereas then some would need even more information. So I like this kind of leveled approach to describing the adventure. Start out with the elevator pitch and then move deeper. So that's what I like about the the story overview uh, in this case. Uh, There's a couple other things in there. Why don't we just talk about what it actually is? Um, the, the, The story of this is that a dragon's horde... Or a horde of gold coins called mm-hmm. dragons, because they call dra- called the gold coins and water dragons, has gone missing. It seems that um, Lord uh, Never Ember mm-hmm. embezzled 500,000 dragons mm-hmm. and then uh, had his mind erased and then got kicked out of the city. And he was going to go and get his coins back, but somebody stole this stone that was like the, the key to unlocking those memories. Yep. And boy, is that stone cool or what? By the way, spoilers, everybody. Like, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna spoil the hell out of this. When when we get to certain points, we may not give away details. But you know, if you're gonna play this, we will spoil a little bit here. Yeah, I'm, I guess we won't talk about what the stone actually is, right? Like, we yeah. can leave that one alone. Yeah, I think we can leave that one alone. Yeah, it's not necessary. It it it's basically the key, though. It's like, well, if you want to know where the gold coins are, yep. you need to get this stone. It's basically the map to the to the vault or whatever, right? That seems to be about right. Yep. So yeah, Never Ember did that old trick of doing something and then having his mind erased, but tying the proverbial pink string around his finger uh-huh. uh, to remember, and then someone stole his pink string. <laughs> It's, it's good stuff. It's it's really yep. good stuff. Yep. Uh, and then things get way crazier after that because people find out that this thing exists, this vault, and then every faction in the city is like, well, we all want this money for our various reasons. Yep. And it's funny for me that the story overview only really covers what happens in the first couple of sections because of the way that the design of the adventure is handled. Um, now, I... I agree with you that in some part I agree with you. I don't know if it's funny. I don't know if it's weird or, or awkward or anything like that. But they uh, they actually mentioned that that this story can go a bunch of different ways, right? And you can't really cover everything, but they prep you for that in this section yep. of the book, it, which is way better than they've done in the past. Yeah, it's funny as in different, not funny, ah. fun, not funny as in odd or funny. It's it's funny because they can't tell you more about the adventure in a simple story overview because it's could go so differently depending on your party and your choices as a DM. Now I will tell you, I like this version of them doing it Mm -hmm. because I'm with you. It is different. Um, I like that. They warn you though, that it can do that because I don't remember them warning me at all about out of the abyss. Mm -hmm. And that, that adventure can go a bunch of different ways, but it seems like they, they, they never warn us that about that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Out of the abyss was a cool idea that was not presented well for the DM. Yeah, it would have been better if they would have known, if they would have done what they're doing, I think, with this book, with that book. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, all right. So, I mean, they're getting way better at this stuff. That's that's the the thing that I'm taking away from it. Yep, at least, yeah, much better for, for DMs uh, to run something and have a good handle on how to do it. All right, now let's talk about... Um, the next section, which well, is can, choosing can the about, villain. Can I talk about one more thing in this section? Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh, there's an important thing about Waterdeep that you need to know, and I'm not going to give spoilers as to why, but there is a ward that covers Waterdeep that al- does not allow dragons to enter. Okay? It's called Agarian's Dragon Ward. 
so the only way a dragon can enter Waterdeep is if it is touched by the dragon staff of Agarian. And they put that right up in front in the uh, story overview because that is a very important part of the adventure. Yes, I'm not going to tell you why, but uh, <laughs> that, that, that information is there and it's important to know. Mm-hmm. And now I think we can move on to the second part of the introduction, which is called Choose Your Villain. Yeah, I think this is a really great feature. I really enjoyed it. It's something for the DM uh, to engage with while reading the adventure, and it impacts the setting to begin with because it's uh, your villain is tied to the season that you're going to run this. And I imagine that matters for the story going forward. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of potential bad guys for sure. Um, So we could just drop them out there because that doesn't matter. Right. Like there's Jarlaxle Benenre, which I love Jarlaxle. Yep. And then there is the Manchun faction of the (laughs) Zentarum. I love the Manchun faction, a bunch of clones running around. And this is supposedly one particular clone. Yep. Um, there's that, that couple that uh, worships Asmodeus. Yeah, the Kazlatters. Yes, yes, them. Uh, and then the last one is... It's the Xanathar um, Guild. The Xanathar Guild, that's right, the Beholder that's on the cover of the, that book, Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Yep. So two of these factions are very much tied to the backstory of what's going on in the city at this time. The Xanathar Guild and uh, the Zentarum. The other two factions are there, uh, usable as the main villains against the adventurers, but all four are present and accounted for throughout the adventure, even if they aren't the main villain that you choose as the DM to to be the uh, opponents of the adventures as they move forward. Well, there's essentially a gang war going on in the city between the Xanathar Guild and the Zentarum. Mm-hmm. That's like one of the backdrops of what's going on in the adventure. This is very true. Yeah. And, and so the other two uh, are potential bad guys. They're potential villains. Uh, more than potential, they are bad guys and they are villains. It's just they may not be the main villains when you choose to run this adventure. That's true. Uh, they all And they all have reasons for wanting the gold, mm-hmm. the, 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 the vault of gold. And another one of the things I liked, I'm not sure if it's in this section, I can't remember, but I remember reading the the villains in this adventure... Their goal is never to kill the player characters. Their goal is always to whatever their goal actually is. So right. they probably won't kill the player characters or seek to kill the player characters. Yeah. Yep. It's very true. And that helps you as the DM um, make a more interesting story. Because it's, I mean, there are going to be places in the adventure where something is out to just flat out kill the, the player characters. But the main villains are not necessarily those those types of villains. Mostly because they could just kill the player characters that they wanted to. They could just squash them. Yep. And it adds an interesting twist to have this in Waterdeep because, especially at lower levels, the main threat to your characters and their success is not dying. It's the City Watch. Yeah, huh? There's, um... There's a whole section. It's in it's in chapter it's in section six. Well, the sixth section that we're talking about. It's not numbered, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but life in Waterdeep. Let me skip ahead a little bit. I suppose. Yep. That um. There's a breaking the law section. It's great. It's this wonderful tool for the DM to to use to help set and keep tone and play style in a city based adventure. Mm-hmm. Like this this adventure highly discourages murder hoboing. Yes. 
And, and 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 I think it's a good time for that because in in you know the adventure that we just finished, Tomb of Annihilation, there isn't doesn't have to be a lot of subtlety, right? You can just travel down into Chult and just kill everything in sight. Well, yeah, that the whole thing is about you know surviving the right. giant dungeons, right? Even Chult itself is a, is an outdoor dungeon. Yep. So or, so this is crawling. a huge switch in gears now to a more subtle way of playing, a more political way of playing, um, which can be just as fun as the murder hobo um, down through the jungle sort of play. Now, um, another thing I really liked about this section was the adventure structure section. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of says it kind of gives you the flow of of how this adventure works and what the most logical progression is. But it doesn't have to go that way. They even and they mention that there. Mm-hmm. And then they have this great flow chart in there, which is a wonderful visual tool to help remind DMs what's going on and and the. Um, we talk about this in misdirected marks sometimes. A what's going on document. Right. So like. There's a there's like a flow chart for like how we got here the what's going on flow chart of, of events yeah and I think that's the most important thing I've seen flow charts of here's where you start here's how you progress to the end and that, and that is in here but there's also an adventure background flow chart to mm-hmm. how did we get here and I think that's what you're talking about it is and and Absolutely. that's and that's something that can be just as important for DMs um, you know when when I've seen DMs struggle the most. It's often not moving forward, but it's moving back. It's trying to figure out why am I at this point? You know, the players ask something, and now I need to go back through this two or three pages of backstory to try to find the answer. This flowchart really helps with that. Yeah, and it has a secondary use too. And maybe this was its intended primary use, but I don't. I'm not really sure. But just for all you folks that that will be running this, when you know what what happened and how we got here and you're playing a, a game that has a lot of factions with political manipulation and such, mm-hmm. You could, um, the idea is that both sides, all sides in this thing, don't have all that information. But you as the game master can have the player characters find this stuff out and then utilize that information as leverage or to make political plays. Yep, absolutely. So that's, that's really why that document and why that information is there. Because mm-hmm. the, that is almost like the treasure that that you can distribute to the player characters for their actions. Like, well, here's some more information. Go do something with it. Like, that's the reward you just got. So enjoy. And and there is a section called Volo's Waterdeep Enchiridion. And I have no idea what that word means. But what it is is it basically gives a tier of Waterdeep. And yeah. so it, it talks about, you know, what happens if your characters murder someone to all of the little details that go into presenting the players and their characters a living, breathing city setting in which to play. By the way, Enchiridion is a late Latin term uh, derived from the Greek word. Uh, I can't even pronounce that word. Never mind. It refers to a small manual or handbook. There you go. And that's exactly go. what this is. It's a smaller handbook within the adventure itself. Which is neat. Um and then there's further information for the DMs about how to handle um, if if your players are breaking the law. What are the laws of Waterdeep? What happens if they're caught? And, as we'll talk about in a minute, how do they get themselves out of trouble if they get into trouble? Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we should talk about the, the character creation and faction section mm-hmm. now. Yep. So 
these factions are interesting and they're not like the some of the factions that you're familiar with out there like the Emerald Enclave and the Harpers and whatnot are there but there's other ones too there's a lot of factions running around in the city in fact Force Grey is part of it which mm-hmm. I think is kind of fascinating yep um I can see what they're going for with this. I mean, like we, we've already mentioned, like city adventures and urban adventures often are about political machinations. Mm-hmm. It's, and, and this adventure is very much right in that wheelhouse. I mean, these power groups are vying for something or another. We all know what that is. It's the dragons, the vault. And um, they all have their own reasons. And sometimes these goals align and sometimes they don't. And sometimes they're close enough, but not exact. And that's where you get alliances and tensions and the dramatic conflicts between these groups. And then the player characters are the ones that have to get involved with that. So getting them in these guilds is a thing that you might want to do. And they all have sort of prerequisites, but they're not very stringent, if you ask me. Some of them are, but most of them aren't. Right. And this is great advice if you have players that have a hard time making decisions about what to do. If you make them part of a faction, it kind of gives them a a roadmap for how their character would react to certain information. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of players who their characters are just the typical murder hobo uh, templates. And you say, well, okay, you know, here's, here are these two people fighting in the street. They both represent different things. What, what do you do? And the general response for people that don't have any motivation is either ignore it or just kill everything in sight. If they are part of one of these factions, then it can give them this compass by which to get through the the chain of thoughts that their character might have. And they don't always have to follow that. They can always go off and do their own thing, of course. But it just it gives them some some role playing grist for their mill. And it does it does that. It also does more than that, right? Like there is some advantage, story based advantage for the most part that comes along with being part of these. And there's also some story based responsibility that comes along with being part of these guilds. Yep, exactly, exactly. So I I think that's that's cool. Like there ain't, there ain't no mechanics here. And I'll and when we talk about opinions, like I'm going to talk a lot about how um how this adventure presents and and kind of uh, where I think a lot of the influences come from for it. Mm-hmm. But um. It tells you about how support comes, and these are really suggestions. They're really good examples of suggestions, but you could do other things with these groups. Like, for instance, like if you're a member of the Harpers, and by the way, if you're a member of the Harpers, they're only willing to really recruit smart, non-evil characters. Mm-hmm. That's what they're looking for. Uh, bards and wizards are especially welcome, so if you're a bard or a wizard, you're probably more looked upon favorably by the Harpers, but really, non-evil is good mm-hmm. enough. Um, your support comes... Examples are this, like they come, the Harpers make common and uncommon potions and scrolls available to the adventures at a reduced or deferred cost, depending on the circumstances. Um, or like if the adventures are accosted or overwhelmed, one or more Harpers may come to their rescue. And a rescue team usually consists of a bard um, or a mage and uh, and a bunch of spies or veterans. Mm-hmm. So like they'll just come out and give you a hand because they're part of you. Yep. But you're still a Harper. So, you know, go do Harper things like work behind the scenes, keep power out of the hands of evil tyrants, you know, face off against the Zentarum because they're the Zentarum, and that's just kind of how that goes. And it tells you a little bit about, like, the places that you can gather and whatnot and where you might find Harper allies in mm-hmm. in the, the city of Waterdeep. Yep. And one of the interesting parts is, when you think about it, the main villains of the adventure, you could be a member of them. Yeah, Brigandy Arth is one of them. 
Right. One and, of the groups. And the Xanathar Guild is, is another faction. It is. Can we, be... we should probably talk about Brigand Earth for people that don't know what Brigand Earth is. Go ahead, it is, Christopher. It is the um, mercenary company that originally is coming out of uh, Menzo Baranza. It's made up of mostly uh, males and other people from destroyed drow houses. Mm-hmm. And Jarlaxle Banray is in charge of Brigand Earth. Yep. So there you go. Like, that's a really... It's a, it's kind of a huge deep cut, right? Like that is like super lore type stuff from from R. A. Salvatore, pretty much. Yep, he wrote most of that stuff. So there you go. And then of course, Force Grey's in there, but um, also the Xanathar Guild's in there, and you can join the Xanathar Guild if you want, but you have to go and commit a crime, which like, most characters do within ten minutes of their creation. That's fair. That's <laughs> that's fair. And it's no, not but just I, I know crime. what you mean. Right, I it's, know what you mean. It's got to be a premeditated. Um, you know, a serious plan. crime, serious right? crime. Right. Exactly. Yes. I mean, we're talking like murdering somebody, um, kidnapping somebody, collecting a ransom, robbing a, a higher coach, stuff like that, looting mm-hmm. a warehouse. Like yeah. you have to go be a criminal. Yeah. So that's so ju- just as the DM be aware that, you know, if you have characters that want to join these more evilish type places, um, you might not want to pick that group as the main villains. You could, you could probably do it. I'm not sure if it discusses that specifically in the adventure. I haven't read every word in it, but just keep that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would also suggest this is a very strong adventure to have a session zero mm-hmm. in. Like, you don't need them for everything. Like, sometimes you can just be like, we're an adventuring company. We're going to do adventurous things, right? Mm-hmm. This one is not the, like that, really. Like. Yes. You don't really want to have a bunch of people with disparate stuff unless you're kind of wanting to play that kind of game and you're mm-hmm. all okay with playing that kind of game. But that's why you have Session Zero, right? Like, right. if someone's a member of the Xanathar Guild and someone's a member of the Xantarum and someone's a member of the Harpers, you have a whole lot of interpersonal, interparty drama right there. Right. And they do give uh, in the book a lot of different character backgrounds that you could use. Um, not just from the player's handbook, but also from the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, as well as noble families, guild memberships, and faction memberships just uh, tied to Waterdeep. And again, this is something that you as the DM need to be aware of, because if you're telling uh, the character, yeah, it's great that you are, uh, your background is in the uh, most careful order of skilled smiths and metal forgers, they're going to know a lot about the city. And so you're going to be need to be aware that information in the adventure where they might have to hunt for something or someone, they may just be able to snap their fingers and do because they are members of a guild or of a noble family from yeah, Waterdeep. I think that's okay, right? Oh, it's absolutely okay. You just have to be aware of it because if you want to do a whole session where the, the idea is we're going to go into this part of this, uh, like the dock ward, and hunt for someone and it's going to take them searching for information and fighting bandits and doing all this stuff. And then one character says, well, I'm a member of this, this guild and we're based in the dock ward. So I know exactly where this building is and where, where this other person is. You, you'd have to be like, Oh yeah, that's probably true. So just, you just need to be aware of it as the DM. Absolutely. Uh, yes, you should, you should know this. This adventure is very much in that vein. Like people just might know stuff. Like, characters might know things, yep. and you'll just have to give people information. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Get to the get to the monkey. There's a there's a word, there's an expletive that goes in the middle of that, but yeah. you can just get to the monkey. It's okay. Yep. Um, 
go look it up if you don't know the name. <laughs> uh, Character advancement. There's a section for that. It has a bunch of suggested character levels for different parts of the adventure, which is really good. I know mm-hmm. that you love that, Sean. I love that too. Yep. Let me know what what range the characters should be when they play this part of the adventure. It's all I mm-hmm. need, and they, they do it. Thumbs up. Uh, you want to run through the the, the rest of the fractions factions real quick? Fractions. Yeah, we've fractions already talked there? about Brigand Arth, uh, Emerald Enclave, Force Gray, Harpers, Lords Alliance, Order of the Gauntlet, Xanathar Guild, and the Zentarum are all factions that you can be a part of and that are either directly or loosely part of the adventure. I, I said factions. I kind of, I, <laughs> I, I, I said fractions the first fractions. time. I just want to kind of put like, so what do you get when you get a Bregandiarth divided by a Zentarum, right? Do you yeah. get a Xanathar guild then? Is that how that I, works? I, I think so. I think so. Yeah. If you, if you take the, as one of my players once said, cut it in half and then double it. Yes. He, he played a half-orc barbarian. So that he was not a skilled negotiator. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, I guess that that's everything pretty much for the intro. The last thing I want to talk about was um, there's a there's a lovely cartoon of mm. the Yawning Portal. Yes. Between this introduction and the first chapter, which is the Yawning Portal. And we'll talk about that next week. I really want to because mm. the, I love the Yawning Portal. It's a very classic location in uh, Forgotten Realms lore. Definitely. But this cartoon is wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. It's a two-page spread. It's char- It's a little bit of a... It's totally a cartoon. Mm-hmm. And it's got a ton of characters on the page. Um, I'm a fan, not a super fan, but a fan of a, a lot of the Forgotten Realms novels. And a lot of those characters are in there, like like Dristo Erden and Guinevere. And the new companions, the, the reincarnated versions of Caddy, Bree, and Bruner, and Wolfgar are in there. Um, Artemis and Cherry's on there. Uh, there's even a Matthew Mercer in there. And nice. a Mordenkind, right? And Mordenkind's hanging out with the symbol and... Um, one of the other, some of the other sisters. Yeah. So it's, it's cool stuff. Like it's a really, really cute picture. I really like it a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's just to describe it a little more, it's a picture of the yawning portal has three levels. So there are just people crammed around the bar and around all these tables as well as some being lowered into the well, but, uh, they all have a little number next to them. And then, so you have to flip back to appendix C. I, I'm looking at it in, in, uh, D and D beyond. If you flip to Appendix C, it gives you the names of all of the characters. Yeah, the one on the that that page actually has um, the picture below the names, right? Like Minskimboo are on there, and okay. and Volo's on there, and like everybody's on there, right? Like most of the most of the yep. cool Forgotten Realms characters that you know of. Yeah, and then it is hilarious that Matt Mercer is also in there. I know he's eighty-five. He's the last one. He's like sitting in the corner yeah. on the first level um, with reading, a book, with reading a book it. Up. <laughs> Surrounded by like, you know, I think Xanathar is over there and mm-hmm. yeah, a bunch of weird weirdos, right? <laughs> yep. That's great. All right. Well, that's, um, man, I do love the maps in here too. Do we, we haven't talked cause it's, um, all the maps are, uh, what's his name? Dyson um, logos. Dyson. They're Dyson yep. maps. I love Dyson maps. I think they're so flavorful, right? Like mm-hmm. I yep. feel like we've gotten to that point with like art and things like that in these, in these books. Like I'm not necessarily looking for the most beautiful things ever anymore. I'm just looking for what makes the most sense and what is most flavorful. Yep. And I know that there was some outrage, quote unquote outrage on the internet um, from players who wanted to see more colorful, full blown maps. And Why? I don't know. Because they're used to it probably because changes the devil to some people. Uh, but it's funny that Mike Schley actually got on Twitter and said, if you don't think these maps are art, then you don't know art. Uh-huh. I thought that was Good job. A, a, very true, and B, super classy of Mike, 
who is you know the one who's done probably the most maps from from Wizards in the in the previous few years to to step up and and give his opinion on it. Well, I'm sure Schley is probably f- friendly with um, Dyson, if nothing I, else. I would say so. Yeah. yeah. Well, whether Maybe. he is or not, it was a it was a cool thing to do, and I think the maps are just fine as well. Why does the mind flayer in that picture look so weird? It's got three eyes. I didn't think mind flayers had three eyes or th- yeah. three three sets of eyes. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's so weird. Oh, is that's it's you know what has three sets of eyes? An Abeleth. Oh, oh, I wonder if that. Yeah, it, it doesn't look like an Abeleth. No, it looks like a no. mind flayer. It's got the man. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, I think huh. that's enough for this week, right? I think we've covered pretty much everything we can about that introduction. Mm-hmm. Well, let's do some Patreon shoutouts and then get out of here. Everyone, thanks so much for listening, especially you patrons out there. Eric Mengi, Sean P. Kelly, Chris Steele, Brett, The Rainmaker, Mike Amer, Dennis Malloy, Quincy Jackson, Camden Wright, Richard Ruane, Curtis Takahashi, Noah Bond, Remy Billadu, Stacey Winters, Glenn Seiler, David Walker, Austin Lemke, Blaze A. Bear, Drew Smith, Todd Crapper, and Rod Bush. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page, which is on the website, or just go to, um, you know... Uh, Patreon backslash Chris MMP or just I forget I think it's Chris MMP I don't know mm-hmm. I'll take a look there's a link it's on the website just there go, go there yep. uh, and get, and for $2 a month we'll give you a shout out or for $4 a month you not only get a shout out but you also get to see our pre-production show notes and access to our slack room for life if you can't help us monetarily but you want to give us a boost you can do so with an Apple podcast review you know the deal those help us if you give us a five-star rating, even if you're not listening on Apple Podcast, because other pod- podcatchers use that review. So if you could help us out, that would be great. Yeah, and it's patreon.com slash MMP. That's the Patreon. He knows right what he's there. talking about. Yeah. He really I does. He's a professional, folks. Oh, no, man. I get so confused about things because there's so many URLs out there. So many, right? I know. <laughs> hey, Chris, you know where people can find me on the Internet? I don't. Can you tell me? I can. They can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. Or on the Down With G Plus community for the next few months. Mm-hmm. Or they can go follow the Mad Wizard at Menagerie Wizard on Twitter. How about you, Chris? Where can we find you? Well, you can find me at Misdirected Mark. That is the uh, network Twitter. And I will always respond to it if you just, you know, tweet, tweet at it. And you can always go to the website. That's always a good place to talk to us. Uh, or if you're a patron, you can just talk to us in Slack. There's that, too. But you can... Uh, Catch other great shows on the website, such as this one, uh, Jang Yu Hustle. Train alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz in Jang Yu Hustle. Eric and Eli make their Kung Fu strong by watching wuxia films, and you have to say it, wuxia, and then discuss how to apply their observations to game design. So if you're into game design and wuxia, you should check it out. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. What are we going to do now, Mr. Mad Wizard Merwin? We're going to go kill some urban monsters. Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? Down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? Yeah, you know me.